this morning, uh, we are in our second week of Advent. Um, and the week, uh, second week of Advent focuses on peace. As uh, was read earlier in the candle lighting and uh, scripture, um, we're anticipating peace. And as I was studying for, for what to share with you this week, I, I kind of uh, stumbled upon something I'd like to share with you as we, as we unpack this theme of peace. In 1992... Give me a click here, guys. Technical difficulties. There we go. In 1992, a book was written called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. I haven't read the book, but the description online says that this book is a timeless book and has helped men and women realize how different they can be in their communication styles, their emotional needs, and their modes of behavior and offers the secrets of communicating without conflicts, allowing couples to give intimacy every chance to grow. I think the point that stood out to there is uh, communicating without conflicts. Uh, maybe I need to read this book. Did you know that according to Google, in my Google search, the concept of the man cave was first penned in this book in 1992? Man Cave, this is the book here, uh, just celebrated its 20th uh, anniversary of the writing and publishing. In this book, there's a quote that says, A man becomes very quiet and goes to his private cave to think about his problem, mulling it over to find a solution. This is uh, the first, uh, is according to Google, the first concept of a man cave. Now, obviously here, the writer had this idea of, in the mind, a man cave, which society recently has taken and run with it and made a complete room in the house of a man cave. But let's talk about this concept of the man cave being in the mind, because when I read that, it, it reminded me of a YouTube video from a pastor uh, that is very funny. I, I'm not going to show the YouTube video for, you know, recording and all of that, but I do have the transcript that I'd like to share with you. Uh, this comes from Pastor Mark Gunger in his presentation called A Tale of Two Brains. Uh, and so I'd like to, to read that. I have the transcript here, and uh, I'm just going to read it. In his video, he has this presentation of A Tale of Two Brains. Quote, men's brains are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes, and we have a box for everything. We have a box for the car. We have a box for the money. We got a box for the job. We got a box for you. We got a box for the kids. We got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. <laughs> we got boxes everywhere. And the rule is, the boxes don't touch. When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open that box, we discuss only what is in that box. And we close the box and we put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. Now women's brains are very, very different from men's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire and everything is connected to everything. The money's connected to the car, the car's connected to your job, the kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. 
It's like the internet superhighway. And it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, and it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because, quite frankly, we don't care. (laughs) Women tend to care about everything, and she just loves it. Now, men, we have a box in our brain that women are not aware of. This particular box has nothing in it. It's true. In fact, we call it the nothing box. And of all the boxes a man has in his brain, the nothing box is our favorite box. If a man has the chance, he'll go to his nothing box every time. That's why a man can do something seemingly completely brain dead for hours on end, you know, like fishing. Or channel surfing. Now, they've actually measured this. This is still his transcript. The University of uh, Pennsylvania, a couple years ago, did a study and discovered that men have the ability to think about absolutely nothing and still breathe. (laughs) Women can't do it. They can't do it. Their minds never stop, and they don't understand the nothing box, and it drives them crazy. Because nothing drives a woman more crazy or makes them feel more irritated to witness a man doing nothing. That's the transcript of the video. The nothing box. The man cave, as uh, the men from Mars and women from Venus would uh, create. The nothing box. And based on the, the giggles and the, and the laughter, you know what I'm talking about. In recent history, this concept of a man cave has, like I alluded to earlier, has actually become a physical reality for some, for some of those lucky men, right? Here's a few pictures. Uh, Oh, this is uh, Webster's Dictionary definition. This is not Pastor Chris's definition. This is Webster's definition of a man cave. A room or other part of a home used by a man as a place to relax and pursue hobbies away from the rest of the family. Not my definition, Webster's definition. Here's some uh, examples of what a man cave might look like. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Right? Here's another one. (laughs) Another one. And here's another one. All different examples of what might be considered a man cave. And you might be going, okay, Pastor Chris, how in the world does this connect to peace? Well, the reality is if we take that concept, men are, go to a man cave for peace and quiet, right? Like that's, that's where all of that led. But here's, a re- it, here's an honest truth. Most men, this is a fantasy, right? Like most men, that, that ain't real. But it also reveals the truth that we are all, men and women, unique in our own ways in regards to what, feel, what we feel brings us peace, right? We kind of shared about that in our koinonia time earlier. You know, and as I thought about the word peace, it, it's often defined by 
uh, its synonyms. In fact, we did this as a family not too long ago. I asked them to, to describe peace or define peace and, and the synonyms of calmness, tranquility, quiet, harmony, all were used to describe or define peace. But those are all synonyms. They're, they're not the definition. And uh, Webster defines peace this way. A state of tranquility or quiet, such as freedom from civil disturbance, a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom, the freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relations. This is uh, how Webster defines peace. And as I wrestled with that, I, I felt like maybe we can simplify that definition slightly for, for I think, how most Americans, anyway, uh, think of the word peace, and that's the absence of conflict. Because when there's an absence of conflict, there is peace, there, there is the tranquility, there is the harmony. And I think that most of us, when we think of the word peace, might really resonate with this simple definition. The problem is, when we use this definition in Scripture, we actually lose something of deeper worth and value. And we're going to explore that this morning. So, as was read during our Advent reading, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is where we're going to start our time in the Word this morning. So I encourage you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 9, uh, if you have them with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the, in the chairs encourage you to get your Bible and uh, get a Bible and open it to Isaiah 9. That's where we're going to start our time together. While you're getting there, I'm just going to pray for our time together in the Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, we thank you for the time of, of worship and the opportunity to be in your presence and, and to gather in your name as your bride, as your church, as we look to your first advent and look forward to your second coming, your second advent. Lord, we, we want to have a sense of peace, but we want to understand what you mean by peace uh, in your word. So Lord, help me to unpack that this morning so that we would have a better understanding of exactly what you mean by peace. So Lord, uh, we ask that you would open our eyes to your word, uh, give us ears to hear, and a posture of understanding and reception this morning. I pray that all who would hear this, uh, your word, would be transformed by it. Do what only you can do, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 9, 6-7 reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In this, uh, if, if we read our understanding, the, the absence of conflict into the text here for peace, where it says prince of peace and uh, the government and of peace there will be no end, we might uh, draw the conclusion that Jesus is here to resolve all, to, to remove us from conflict, 
right? That he's the prince of taking us out of conflict. But we know that scripture doesn't really teach us that. In fact, Jesus himself says in, in Luke that I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, right? So this idea of, of peace that we might read into the text here isn't quite accurate. In fact, the word that is translated here twice as peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, And shalom, while it does mean peace, while it does mean peace in the sense of an absence of conflict, it means so much more. And so I'd like to unpack shalom as best to my ability as I can for you all this morning. It does mean a lot more than the absence of conflict or calmness or tranquility. It has a rich meaning in Hebrew literature and while it does, like I said, apply to this absence of conflict, it, it wasn't just simply the removal of the conflict. It would be when you have two uh, entities in conflict, the conflict is removed, and now the two entities work together for the betterment of each other. An example of this might be um, the idea of we know that Israel and Palestine are in, in conflict right now. They're in war in Gaza, Right? Shalom would be that not just the war ceasing and the conflict ending. Shalom would be that the, not, that the conflict would be removed and that Palestine and Israel would come together and work together for the betterment of the two of them. That would be an understanding of shalom, not just the removal of the conflict. Okay? With me so far? That's one piece of shalom. Okay? The literal translation of shalom in the uh, lexicon means whole or complete. So literally, shalom means bringing wholeness or completeness. Think about it this way. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden and he said that everything was good, this was shalom. It was complete. It was whole. His creation was good in its wholeness. When sin entered the picture and they were kicked out of Eden, mankind lost the perfect shalom God had intended for us to have, leaving us with a God-shaped hole in our souls. And every generation since that very beginning has sought to fill that hole with the things of this world, believing that the lie that the things of this world will bring shalom to their souls, will bring the completeness and the wholeness. And they never do. In addition to um, this, shalom carries the idea of well-being or wellness, which is why the Israelites would use this as a greeting or a farewell. You know, we, we say, how are you? How are you doing? That would be part of shalom as well. This, are, are you well? All right? Or farewell. In Genesis 43, 26 to 28, it's the story of Joseph and his brothers. It says, When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired, Joseph inquired about their welfare and said, 
Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. All three uses here in the Hebrew is shalom. So shalom is the absence of conflict and the, and the bringing together of the two sides. It does mean wholeness, but it also encompasses wellness, welfare. In the New Testament, we have a word for peace as well, only it's in Greek. The Greek word in the New Testament is erene. I think I said that right. A Rain, nay. And according to Greek lexicons and people smarter than I am, this carries the same, it's used 94 times in the New Testament, this erene. And according to these smarter people than me, it's basically the equivalent to shalom. Carries the same weight. So when Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We can, based on these people smarter than I, we can replace peace with shalom. Shalom I leave with you, my shalom I give you. And if we understand that shalom word to mean everything we've we've unpacked wholeness, completeness, that gives us a whole new meaning rather than just the absence of conflict, right? Like, understand what Jesus is saying here. Shalom I leave with you. Completeness, wellness. Yes, the absence of conflict, but bringing two sides together. He doesn't say that he's just leaving it with us. He's saying his Shalom, he gives us. I have some more uh, scriptures to, to unpack here. So we see in Romans 5.1, the same erene, uh, which we know to mean shalom. says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep that shalom meaning, that understanding, because that's how the, the New Testament writers were using this word. Ephesians 2, 13 to 16 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our shalom. He is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, shalom, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you see the richness here that we might lose with our understanding of peace? Yes? With me? Am I losing some of you? No? Okay. Philippians 4.9 What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of shalom will be with you. Jesus says that in this world, we will experience tribulations, conflict, turmoil. We're going to experience a life that is hard. We're going to, we're going to rub, we're going to butt heads with people, right? We're, especially the world. We're going to be one that experience tribulation and conflict. So how in the world are we supposed to understand these verses that God, uh, the God of peace will be with us if our understanding of peace means we're not going to experience tribulations because peace means the absence of such things. We have to understand the original mentality of the writers. See, even though we're going to experience, as believers, tribulations, conflict, wars, turmoil, fill in the blank, we know that we have peace, we have shalom with Jesus, with God, no matter what our earthly experiences are, because Jesus is the Prince of Shalom, wholeness, completeness, bringing two sides to one. And as we look forward to his second coming, there is a day coming when we will have complete shalom with God again. And in this season of Advent, you know, we, we look back to the Israelites looking forward to his birth, his first Advent, but we're in this time in history where we get to see that and look forward to his return. Where that peace, that shalom, will be made fully complete. And that is a day to look forward to. Revelation uh, 21, 1-7 gives us a picture of this kind of peace in the second advent of Jesus, the second coming. I'd like you to go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Revelation 21. If you have your own Bible... I encourage you to take notes in it or underline things that might stand out to you as we read this. It's your Bible. If you're using one of the church ones, uh, don't do that. (laughs) Although it might not be a bad idea for whoever might read it next. As, as I read out loud what you'll be following along in your own Bible, if there is something that really just stands out to you, I encourage you to underline it, circle it, make notes in the margin, be what may. Revelation 21, 1-7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will bless, uh, excuse me, I will be his God, and he will be my son. There's coming a day where he's going to wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no pain anymore, for those things will be gone. They will have passed away. This is a picture of God's original plan and his shalom. See, shalom is the idea of restoring our souls to that wholeness and completeness of when man and God are one. And there is coming a day when Scripture tells us that that will happen, where God and man will be one. So when we read our Scriptures and we read about uh, Jesus being our Prince of Peace, I hope you see that it carries so much more weight than just simply peace on earth as far as avoiding conflict. It's the restoration of man's relationship with God. Emmanuel, God with us. Application. Peace isn't found in the absence of something. Peace is found in the presence of someone. Jesus. See, when we think of peace, we, we think of the absence of the conflict. We think of not being an, engaged in the turmoil. And that's where we find peace. We, we, we go to our man cave to seek solace and peace and quiet because we're removing ourselves from the, the conflict. We're removing ourselves from the noise. That's not where peace is found. Peace is found in Jesus, in his presence, because he is the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, we see that the Messiah that Israel was waiting for is Jesus, the Prince of Shalom. And this is the missing peace that the world aches for. This is the missing peace that the world around us searches for in drugs, alcohol, and, and all of those, those empty wells that, that just don't satisfy in the long run. Those aren't the only things. We, we, we look for it in all sorts of different avenues, trying to fill that emptiness. And the world aches for this peace, this wholeness, this shalom that is only found in Jesus. And the church is God's instrument for sharing his peace with the world. Jesus commissioned his church 
to go into the world to make disciples, to baptize nations in his name, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. And so as we go into the world, we're taking Jesus with us because he's alive in you. And we get to share the Prince of Peace to hearts who are seeking this peace and completeness desperately. And that's the mission of the church, to take Jesus into the world, the Prince of Peace. And it takes us all working together on mission with Christ until he comes back or calls us home. This is why we're here. We look forward to that day when he does return and we're made whole again in him. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths in your word and of your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace. And not just the absence of the, the, the turmoil, not the absence of conflict, not, not our English understanding of peace, but Lord, you are the Prince of Shalom, wholeness, restoration, completeness that's only found in you. Our souls are made complete in you. And you take the rebel heart that is at war with you. You remove the sin, the conflict between us by the blood of your son, Jesus. And not only do you remove that sin and conflict between us, you make us one with you. You fill us with your Holy Spirit, uniting us again to you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts to understand exactly the depths of the meaning of shalom this morning. For you are a great God. Your peace knows no bounds. Your love for us is to restore us, even at the cost of your own son. Thank you for loving us that much. As we go this week, I pray, Lord, that you would send us that you would open our eyes to the needing of the hearts of people around us in our sphere of influence that are seeking this peace in, these, in this season, Lord. Let us bring them hope and peace and joy and love that's only found in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.